재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 According to a report by the anti-poverty charity Oxfam, the world's richest 62 people now own the same as the poorest half of the world's population. This report calls for urgent action to narrow the widening gap between the rich and poor, claiming that the wealth of the poorest 50% dropped by 41% in the last 10 years from 2010 to 2015, regardless of the rise of the global population. So to give us more analysis on this report, we are pleased to have joining us from Hawk Research Institute at the University of South Australia, adjunct professor Robert Holton. Hello. Yes, hello, Henry. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Professor Holton. Uh, There are often people who would be skeptical as to how these reports should be interpreted. Uh, Some people say that Oxfam's calculations may be taken with a grain of salt. In your view, um, the methodology that Oxfam used to gauge inequality, was it appropriate? We also know about other things like Gini coefficient and what have you. What do you think is an appropriate gauge of global wealth inequality? Well, um, wealth is really about assets, uh, measuring assets, um, whether it's land, housing, shares, whatever it might be, and the distribution of assets through the world's population. And um, it seems to me that the Oxfam um, use of net assets that's taking into account um, debt rather than simply the scale of assets. I think that's quite reasonable and Quite a lot of other um, research does that, so I don't think that in itself is particularly controversial. Okay. In terms of the the timing of these reports, uh, we have an annual World Economic Forum in Davos. Um, some cynics will feel this is just a kind of a clubby gathering of the world's richest billionaires and and the elites of various societies, and Oxfam releases this uh, measure of wealth inequality uh, right before the WEF. Can you, can you speak to uh, Oxfam's decision as to releasing this report uh, during this time, this tradition, and is there any message that they're trying to send? Yes, that's a good question. Um, I mean, Credit Suisse, the uh, global investment bank, do most of the hard work on which... Um, Oxfam relies, um, they, they do a very uh, wide, wide scale, much more methodologically sound um, study each year. And Oxfam draw on that, um, particularly for those other than the top 1%. And so the timing is, is partly to do that and partly to make a splash at the Davos World Economic Forum. What I think we need to understand about Oxfam, as you implied uh, earlier, it started as a charity really concerned with famine relief and poverty, but in the last 25 years it's expanded its objectives and role to be a kind of global advocacy group uh, and to put uh, political and moral pressure on those it feels need to take action uh, in relation to inequality, global injustice, and so forth. So really it's expanded its role. And I guess um, just like business lobbies uh, try to be present at Davos and make a splash, uh, in its own way Oxfam is, is doing that too.
Would you uh, say that uh, it is an appropriate evolution as far as uh, their roots being alleviating global hunger and poverty and now taking this more broader role as they see it? Is it just kind of a natural reaction to what we're seeing as global trends right now? Well, I think in, um, in, a, in a democracy, it's healthy to have a range of points of view. Now, I'm, I'm, um, I'm an academic, I'm a scholar, so I like to see evidence-based contributions to policy. And I think Oxfam um, has a reasonable but not perfect record in that respect. So, yes, I think it's healthy. And, I mean, we think of democracy in a national setting. If you think of... Um, a global setting, it's quite hard to uh, see a really developed sense of democracy, possibly the United Nations. But mm. um, I think what they're doing is trying to inform debate and put on pressure, and those things can be debated and um, people, people can form their own view. And as an academic, uh, we'd love to get your thoughts on, uh, through the evidence-based research that you've been able to see and engage in, uh, what are some of the major trends uh, behind what we're seeing right now with global income inequality? Well, first of all, I think, very briefly, we must think of inequality as not only an economic but a social and political matter. And so there are, just as there are inequalities, in income and wealth, there are inequalities in health, uh, in social recognition and so forth, uh, political participation. So it's a big, it's a very big issue. Um, in terms of income and wealth, the world is a very unequal place, but I think we should distinguish between two things, inequality within countries and inequality between countries. And in the last hundred years, uh, inequality between countries has been increasing mm. up until about the 1990s. And um, inequalities within countries have been lessening somewhat. Now, that's changed in the last 10, 15 years, according to the economic scholarship. And now uh, inequality within countries has started to become much more evident uh, and I suppose that feeds into Oxfam's sense of a 1% um, dominating the whole right. pyramid of inequality. Well, the final question here then, uh, we've been talking about the World Economic Forum, uh, how uh, the wealthy and the elite are gathering. Uh, they are mindful of this report. You talk about inequality between countries. What do you think... Uh, the, the so-called 1% or the uh, so-called powerful countries like uh, Western Europe and, and the United States, what can they do uh, right now tangibly to help reduce inequality around the world? Well, that's, that's a very good question. And I, I think, um, I mean, I think there has to be some uh, action to deal with problems of tax havens because a lot of uh, assets are hidden in tax havens and they don't really pay their fair share of tax. And I think we need to consider some kind of global economic tax, not, not high enough or um, controlling enough to undermine trade and business, but something like a global financial transactions tax has been floated where a very, very tiny uh, rate is levied on it. You know, it's something like four or five trillion dollars move around the world every day, mm. and a very tiny tax 
on that um, might generate resources to do something about uh, inequality. So I think, I think tax action uh, is certainly important for economic inequality. Yeah, certainly some uh, great advice there. Professor Holton, we're going to leave it there, but thank you very much for your time. Appreciate your expertise. Well, and thank you indeed for having me on the show. That was Professor at the Hawk Research Institute at the University of South Australia, adjunct Professor Robert Holton. Soul City News is up next.